newspapers as a medium are not dead. They are very much alive. And in many communities, they are a critical resource for people to get information. Well, I think working together to create something is the very definition of democracy. Welcome to the Democracy Informed Citizen Podcast. I'm Byron Williams. And I'm Laura Anderson. Laura, today's conversation is different from previous episodes in that we hear from two university professors. Besides hailing from one of, if not the biggest college football rivalry on earth, um, who are George Daniels and, and Nan Fairley and what's their relationship to the Democracy and the Informed Citizen? Okay, Dr. Daniels is associate professor in the College of Communication and Information Studies at the University of Alabama. And Nan Fairley is associate professor in the School of Communication and Journalism at Auburn University. Both have been working with us on this initiative for a while in different capacities. Dr. Daniels' work with us goes back the furthest, back to when we hosted town hall meetings around the state in 2018 with some Pulitzer Prize winners and other Alabama journalists. Dr. Daniels has moderated town hall meetings for us and developed means for us to evaluate public programs in this project series. He teaches community journalism courses to undergraduate and graduate students from around Alabama and the nation. And he stresses to his students the importance of community-minded journalism to a functioning democracy. I'll say more about Professor Fairley later, but first let's hear some of your conversation with Dr. George Daniels. Sure, I, I asked Dr. Daniels to talk about the state of community journalism from both the producer and consumer perspectives in the digital age. The real work of this kind of community-based um, journalism and uh, community-based conversations around news and media, it doesn't happen in one year's time. It doesn't happen in two years' time. It has to be something that is ongoing. The relationships have to be there uh, between the local news outlet and the people in the community. I would challenge those who would say that newspapers are dead. News organizations have had to retool the way that they present their information, but newspapers as a medium are not dead. They are very much alive, and in many communities, they are a critical resource for people to get information. The question is, who is the audience we're talking about? And so I think we have to really think through what we mean when we talk about newspapers are dead. First of all, what are we doing to make the information that we're gathering available to the audience we're talking about? If we're producing only for a website and the audience is not online, the audience is not reading the information you're talking about, the audience might have a cell phone, that may, might, that probably isn't appropriate for that audience. So that's one thing we have to think through. Uh, and I think this is a good topic as a person who looks at the black press specifically, uh, in different communities in the digital age, this is a, a question that uh, we are constantly asking uh, when we look at these outlets is, are they a tool for the digital age? The first thing we have to do though, is to challenge this notion that all of a sudden, because of mobile devices, 
newspapers are dead. Talk about, I guess, the worst case scenario, the failure of these community papers to adjust. And what would that mean for the population at large if these community papers, whether they're black owned or however you want to define that, if they did not exist? Well, I think you have a lot of messages that are not going to get to audiences that need to get to them. Community papers are the only people who are covering these local meetings. They're the only ones that are showing up on a regular basis. Last year, I, I looked at the, uh, again, the black press in several markets, um, Memphis, Sacramento, which really aren't small communities, but I looked at those urban markets to see to what extent they're covering city council and county commission meetings. And those two stood out for the regularity of their coverage. But if we look at Alabama, right now, I have a set of uh, 600 and some weeklies that were collected from 2020, looking at the pandemic. And those publications have been consistently covering local county commission meetings, planning commissions, other kinds of relevant government organizations that were relevant for how the local communities were handling COVID-19. What we're doing right now is measuring to what extent the COVID coverage was COVID community coverage. We call that the COVID community coverage index. And we give a certain number of points for every story we see that is local based, that has local sources, that reflects what's going on in the local area, not just transmitting wire copy from Montgomery or some other faraway place. Your question was, what happens if they go away? You don't get these local stories. You don't have the information that you really need when you're going to go to vote in a local election. Well, one of the things I found in my looking at these publications is even during a pandemic, they were critical in Alabama, but also in Virginia and other places in covering who are the candidates running for office and what are the, their positions on these particular issues. And in some cases, offering an endorsement. That's an informed opinion based on interviewing candidates. If those publications didn't exist, you wouldn't have that informed opinion. If those publications didn't exist, you wouldn't have the details on uh, policy changes that were gonna be happening. If those publications didn't exist, when someone passes away, you might not know about it because that obituary may or may not appear in the Metropolitan newspaper. It might be on the Funeral Homes website. Um, but these publications are important for capturing lives even after they're ended. You know, I call that rendering a life. You render a life, you render a person's life important when you publish that picture and you say this person was important because of all the things that he or she accomplished. You know, that's how you produce in the Black press Black history every week. Is there a dynamic that we haven't addressed yet that's, that, that's missing that you think that you want to put on the table? Well, I do think that while we've talked a little bit about the black press, what we're talking about also in this issue of community information is also um, an issue of race, that there are people whose stories are told more frequently than others. And we can't talk about um, availability of news and information and assume that the information that's coming out is gonna be inclusive at all times. And that's why 
That's one of the reasons why for almost 200 years we've had this thing called the black press because there hasn't been a concerted effort to tell the story of people of color in this community, in this country, and specifically African-Americans. I don't necessarily like the term people of color. It's okay, it's a synonym, but specifically of African-Americans, uh, which we know in some counties in the state of Alabama are in the greatest number, those stories are still not being told. So in the race wrecking of 2020, we're reminded of where we are as a country when it comes to race relations. Uh, in 2021, in the most recent gubernatorial election where we're talking about uh, critical race theory, we're reminded again about where we are as a country in talking about race or not. Uh, there's a need to continue to have those kinds of exchanges and information needs to get out. That is maybe not the primary focus of this discussion about small towns and small communities, but it is still a very relevant issue. And we need to make sure that's on the table also. And at these forums that we had, particularly the two, one in Northeast Alabama and the one in um, uh, Talladega in 2018, I believe, um, those forums did in fact address uh, that issue. Um, of course, we've had a presidential election since then. Uh, we've had January 6, 2021 since then. It reminds us again that race is still relevant. And until we can have honest conversations and honest dialogues about difference, about history, about contemporary times, we are not where we need to be as a country. So I think that has to be put on the table also. Professor Daniels acknowledged that some of the publications he referenced in our conversation were not necessarily rural publications. He's interested in the black press, for example, but his point is that community publications, however community might be defined, provide a cohesive bond in many locations that may not exist were it not for journalistic efforts. Yes, I appreciate Dr. Daniels treating coverage of local politics and life passages as being equally important on the community level, rendering lives is the way he puts it. He also used a phrase at least one time that piqued my interest, and that was trusted local sources. We've learned over the past few years that distrust of media has increased over time. When one's neighbors or at least fellow community members, however you define community, people with whom one has a connection and point of trust are producers of the newspaper, the digital news site, whatever the media is, readers might be challenged to to distrust that media, do you think? That's probably true. And I think it figures into the teaching and research of Dr. Daniels' colleague, Nan Fairley, as well. It does. Fairley and Daniels have been working across that famous rivalry you mentioned between their institutions for many years, both as well-known leaders of efforts to train journalists to be community-minded. In the case of Nan Fairley, in addition to decades spent teaching community journalism courses, she co-founded and helps lead an experience for journalism students that's called the Living Democracy Project. It's in partnership with Auburn's Caroline Marshall Drawn Center for the Arts and Humanities at Pebble Hill, the David Matthews Center for Civic Life, and, and the host community partner so that students spend semesters in residence 
in rural Alabama places like Camden, Collinsville, Elba, Chatham, and the students and citizens collaborate on issues of concern to the host communities. I mean, it sounds like an important training ground for community journalists. When I sat down with Professor Fairley uh, to discuss the benefits of local news to civic life in Alabama's small rural communities, she focused her work with the Pacers Network but I understand that she's championed community journalism throughout her career, despite the profession's trend toward news consolidation. Let's listen to some of my conversation with Professor Fairley. Alabama has lost 90% of the papers they had at the turn of the century. The, like in the uh, 1800s, we had these small little towns. They not only had one newspaper, sometimes they had three newspapers. And so over time, not only in Alabama, because of some of the factors you mentioned, uh, we're losing newspapers right and left. And to me, what Pacers means is, uh, basically is hope. Hope that this experiment, as we might call it, uh, maybe a path that we can use to as a tool or an experiment to see if we can keep hope alive in my mind and by bringing, uh, despite the many obstacles, uh, they are going against the grain. As newspapers are shutting down, Pacers has stepped in and said, said you know, we're, we're going to start new newspapers, which is incredible to me. But in terms of the small uh communities that we're, we're working in Pacers, there are multiple benefits that I'm seeing already in the towns. And I think beyond democracy, you know, these towns need somebody to go to the city council meeting. They need to talk about serious issues of concern, economic, political, uh, but they, um, they need more than that, and I think Pacers is is building community by celebrating achievements. Uh, there's a great feature that has emerged already where we have uh, citizens of the heart, people who have left the communities, but they're writing essays and columns about what the place means to them. Um, and other benefits, you know, celebrating that snowflake factor in each of these communities. And that is what makes that place different from any other place on earth. One of the consistent themes with the individuals that I spoke with uh, for this podcast uh, series is their concern for the, the long-term financial sustainability. Any thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean PACER has limited resources. I mean, PACER support cannot exist in perpetuity. So um, are you concerned that these, these papers, these publications, will be able to sustain themselves? That's the critical question. Uh, and that's the million-dollar question for newspapers all over the country in terms of the economic model, um, loss of revenue, consolidation, the whole social media internet question that's been the question for 10 years and i think in terms of being an experiment we have to answer that question and they are faced with that difficult question and that's the next question on the agenda but uh it's not impossible and these people who are working on the newspapers 
in terms of the PACER support, that's our primary question. And it could be uh, public support. It could be uh, the public radio TV model. It could be sponsors uh, who are committed to seeing these projects work. There are a lot of questions, but that is a number one question that not only the people in the community have, but we have. But if we can uh, be creative, and that's one of the beauties of this project, maybe we can find an answer that maybe works not only for these papers, but for uh, other papers that might be able to join the network or use us as a model. Hmm. I mean, just looking at the, the Pacers site, one of the things that you, that you emphasize is the this sort of esprit de corps where you have citizens working together to, to, to fill a void. Could you speak to this importance, what, what that aspect does? You sort of touched on it in other ways, but could you talk specifically uh, just how this project is actually building community, what I'm calling in many cases um, the forgotten community based on not having those publications prior? Well, I think working together to create something is the very definition of democracy. Um, and it's really been amazing to see who is working together on these projects. For example, in Camp Hill, we have a senior citizen in her 80s working with the high school junior uh, to like be the lead folks getting this paper together. Uh, we have very diverse group of people in each community working together and not only are they working together their product is bringing people together celebrating achievements is something that is a void that it did i think pacers papers are help helping feel because this person just graduated with her nursing degree this person from the community won a prize this person is going to school somewhere. So those kind of stories uh, celebrate individuals, which may also inspire people. We've had uh, multiple stories about community history, and that might be a gap that these papers are help, helping fill uh, for the younger generations. Um, it may be too early to say exactly because we are young, young project. We're just getting our first few issues out, which is kind of like a miracle to me that this even happened. Um, but I think we're watching it closely um, so that in time, if we can sustain this work, we can see more specifically other benefits. But community building, political involvement, um, civic engagement. A lot of studies say that um, newspaper, uh, communities with newspapers have a higher rate of engagement, have a higher rate of political involvement, which is why it's all such a bigger threat to democracy that more and more newspapers are disappearing. So if we can create locally in these small places, we can maybe see what happens. Maybe we'll see. Laura, as I told uh, Professor Fairley, one thing I can say after my conversations for this podcast is that people involved in rural news networks do not lack enthusiasm or commitment. <laughs> they don't, but they also can't. I mean, 
too few people are involved at this point. So when anyone lacks enthusiasm or commitment, things could just fall apart, which gets at the crucial issue of sustainability and the importance of relationships that Dr. Daniels was mentioning. So Lauren, in several of our episodes, the name PACES has come up. Take a moment, if you would, to say a bit more about that organization, the role it has played with these community newspapers. Sure. There have been books published about PACERS and national and international conferences featuring youth and elders from PACERS communities. It's a longstanding Alabama organization comprised of member communities throughout the state. The important thing to know in the context of this podcast is that members of the network believe in each other and learn from each other. They are relying on the network for help to lay out and design papers, edit, copy, and strategize sustainability in the future. Another thing to note at this point is that while people in the Pacers Network had talked before the Democracy and the Informed Citizen Project and before the pandemic about going against the grain, as Professor Fairley puts it, and publishing newspapers, they got down to work producing papers after this project and the pandemic were in full swing. Looking at their burgeoning effort is a nice way of exploring what Alabama Humanities Alliance set out to explore over three years ago now. What is the future of journalism in rural Alabama and why does it matter? I mean, the timing is interesting and the value of both the work and the network become increasingly clear as our podcast continues. You've been listening to the Microsoft Informed Citizen, the Future of Journalism in Rural Alabama, a collaboration between the Alabama Humanities Alliance and Alabama A&M University and part of the Microsoft and the Informed Citizen National Initiative, administered by the Federation of State Humanities Councils and funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation in partnership with the Pulitzer Prizes. I'm your host, Byron Williams. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.